This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, December 30th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, county continues to see record-breaking COVID numbers, happy vaxiversary, a look back, Nordic Commando signs off, and a mountain weather forecast. As the more contagious Omicron variant of the coronavirus makes its way through San Miguel County, local COVID-19 case numbers continue to surge to record numbers. On top of 286 active local cases, County Public Health Director Grace Franklin says test numbers from earlier this week show an additional 247 positive tests. Sunday through Tuesday testing uh, tested almost a thousand people, so it's not surprising to see such high numbers. Um, but we're still working through uh, making sure that these are individual numbers versus duplicated or people testing multiple times. So stay tuned for that final number tomorrow. Franklin spoke on KOTO on Thursday. We're also seeing a very high COVID numbers in the wastewater, as well as um, detecting that the new Omicron variant is the dominant strain in our wastewater. Other ski communities across Colorado, which also have high visitor numbers, Franklin notes, are seeing similar spikes. Pitt King County, which um, has Aspen in it, Eagle County with Vail, and then Summit County, they're all seeing these record number cases and really the significant spike um, that we've been seeing for very similar reasons. The spike comes as the county adopts new guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, shortening isolation times for some people who test positive from 10 days to five. From the onset of symptoms or your positive test, whichever one's earlier. And then if you have no symptoms after day five, you can leave your house, but you need to make sure to wear a mask and wear it well for five full days afterwards. County Medical Officer and Telluride Regional Medical Center physician Dr. Sharon Grundy also spoke on KOTO on Thursday and adds the best mask is an N95 or KN95 that fits snugly around the face. Next best is a surgical mask. What we're looking for right now is like protecting you from giving it to somebody. So we want you wearing a mask. And if neither of those are available, Grundy suggests a multi-layered cloth mask. You really shouldn't be able to hold it up to the light and see straight through it. And you should kind of be able to get it, again, tight fitting around the mask under the chin. And I, I like the cloth masks that have a little bit of metal in them so you can mold it to your no- the bridge of your nose. High case numbers, Franklin adds, also mean local contact tracers can't contact everyone. We've moved to a triage mode right now where our priority is to um, provide more of that one-on-one care to our highest risk individuals, whether that's based on age, medical conditions, or um, resource needs. And then everybody else is receiving an email with instructions about what does isolation mean, what does the timelines look like, and then um, how to, you as the individual, notify your close contacts and take that on as a responsibility um, since we, we can't do it as quickly as we know everybody else can. On the hospital front, Grundy notes high patient numbers and staffing shortages due to employees testing positive have strained nearby medical capacity. All of our regional hospitals are trying to do their best to keep ongoing care for things like an acute orthopedic injury, a stroke, a heart attack. But there are times over the last eight weeks that from the Telluride Medical Center, we sent out a critical patient they have had to go out of state. On a more positive note, 
Grundy says she's hopeful newly approved COVID treatments will decrease the chance of severe and long-term symptoms moving forward. Still, as 2022 approaches, Grundy urges everyone to be mindful at New Year's Eve events this weekend. Wear masks, especially indoors, and, if you haven't yet, get vaccinated and boosted. Information about upcoming local vaccine and testing opportunities is available at sanmiguelcountyco.gov under the COVID tab. December 2020. Technically a year in the past, but for San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin, it feels more distant. A year ago feels so much longer than a year. (laughs) That's because it was one year ago, in early December 2020, that the first COVID-19 vaccines were approved in the U.S. And a few weeks later, December 23rd to be exact, that they started being administered in San Miguel County. So, on this roughly one-year vaxiversary, KOTO is looking back at the year in vaccines. I remember that sense of relief and hope and joy that came from people that were on the front lines for such a long time, really seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. It was really exciting. Dr. Deanna Colliger, Director of Emergency and Trauma Services and Telluride EMS Director at the Telluride Regional Medical Center, was one of the first locals to get the jab. This was going to be the key to, you know, ending the horribleness. At first, the vaccine was a precious thing. There were limited local doses. And I remember writing letters and and looking at dashboards and comparing, you know, why did so-and-so county get more doses and we only got allotted 100? Every drop mattered. We didn't want to make a mistake. We didn't want to drop a vial, put it in light. Dr. Sharon Grundy, medical officer for county public health and a TMC physician. It was so stressful, hopeful, happy. It was like a whole mixed bag of emotions. The initial three or so months, Grundy admits, were scary. We had this whole process of trying to get people in safely, especially our high-risk individuals, and not give them COVID-19 while they came in to get a preventative vaccine. But over time, supply increased, and Franklin points out, a team effort sprung up to meet the moment. It's really remarkable how big of an undertaking our entire community took, really within such a short time frame, to um, push such a large endeavor. Community members shuffled through mass vaccination clinics over the first half of 2021. Those days stick with Franklin. I won't say any names, right, but there's just people that would come up and just be like tearful, just being like, this is such an amazing feeling. And then, Colliker remembers, there was a bit of what she calls a honeymoon period. We were fully protected, and then the sun came out, and we all went outdoors, and we kind of resumed life a little bit more normally. Of course, that didn't last. The Delta variant was better at getting through the vaccines. And while the shots still protected against severe illness, there were more breakthrough cases in vaccinated people. Dr. Colliker was one of them, coming down with COVID about eight months after her second shot. Still... She thinks it would have been worse without the vaccine. I was ill for a number of days, and I was so thankful I didn't catch it a year before when I wasn't vaccinated. I mean, I I said that a hundred times. Eventually, boosters were added to bump up waning immunity. Still, some people have been more reluctant to get the vaccine than others. For some, Colliker says, they only decided to get it after going through their own battle with COVID. 
there has been a couple of people in this town who got very ill and even critically ill and thankfully recovered, and then they they got vaccinated and verbalized that they were sorry that it took all of that to convince them, but thankfully they made it through. The local vaccination effort, by all measures, has been successful. Almost 96 percent of eligible residents have at least one dose. Over 10,000 vaccines have been administered locally, and that keeps growing. Aside from younger people, who were recently approved for shots, Grundy says there's probably one adult a day coming into the Telluride Medical Center for a first dose. You get the occasional person who's changed their mind because they've been personally affected by the loss or a severe hospitalization of a friend or family member, and that's kind of changed their minds. Others who have been hesitant, she says, have seen how fast the new, more transmissible Omicron variant is spreading and want the added protection. One year into vaccinating, the shots haven't ended the pandemic, but they have changed it. Most of the people hospitalized with COVID now colicker notes are unvaccinated, and much of the world doesn't even have the option to get a shot yet. So the historic saga of the COVID-19 pandemic continues. Still, it's helpful to look back every now and then and see how far we've come. As 2021 draws to a close, KOTO News is looking back and rerunning some of the big stories of the last year. Today, we're looking back to May. The Kodo and Telluride community lost a giant in 2021, Jerry Green. KOTO's Julia Caulfield paid this tribute to his legacy. This is, KO, this is KOTO in Telluride. Where else? We'll be in harmony with Telluride from now until who knows when. Somewhere into forever, we'll be on the air every day. Jane Hill would like to play the piano for uh, for you. Would you like to introduce yourself and what you're going to play? Sure. Um, this is the electric piano, and I've never played it before, but I heard I could play it if I came up today. So I'm going to try two Bach sinfonias. They're two short pieces by Bach. <laughs> When KOTO came on the air on October 3rd, 1975, Jerry Green was there. Green, known to the airwaves as Nordic Commando Radio, fully embodied Kodo's spirit. Here's Executive Director Kara Pallone. Jerry was fiercely independent. He was authentic. He definitely marched to the beat of his own drum. He kept it real and... The airwaves are just not going to be the same without Nordic Commando. Green passed away on Saturday, May 8th, in Grand Junction, following complications from health issues. He was 73 years old. Jerry was born at 11.30 p.m. at Beth Israel Hospital in Newark, New Jersey, on June 18th, 1947, making him a Gemini, as he noted on Kodo during Friday Live, who is Jerry Green in 1976? Gemini is known for being a sign which is heavy into communications industry and things like that, so uh, I guess I'm in the right place. After growing up in Newark, Green went to Cornell University, where he got a degree in psychology. He spent much of his time at the college radio station, WVBR, although it wasn't the smoothest start. I came in and, and they didn't like the way I announced anything, and... They uh, didn't think I was a good disc jockey, so I just got to hang around and um, 
learn how to run the board. He finally got his break when the DJs went on strike. According to Green, they wanted a reupholstered chair in the studio. The newscasters were on strike too, so, so we needed some scab. And while I'm generally in support of unions, this, this is one time in my life I was a scab. So they gave me this uh, world brief. It's the instant three and a half minutes worth of news copy that comes from UPI every hour. And uh, I got on, I read it. Program director says, uh, you're too good to be a scab. So that was the first time I was allowed to be on the radio. After a stint at radio stations in St. Louis and Denver, Green made his way to Telluride to create a non-commercial, non-underwritten community radio station. KOTO News spoke with Green about those early days of the radio station in honor of its 45th birthday last year. I organized a opening day of all live broadcast. Um, and I thought we should uh, jump off with a bang and uh, um, you know, show that community radio can generate local programming to fill an entire day. There has been music since day one, but there's another Kodo legacy that lives on because of Green. News was to be prominent from day one. Whether there was news or not, every day, um, sometime in the afternoon when I had other station duties out of the way, I went to gather news. And I'd, uh, I'd go to the sheriff's office, nope, nothing happening here. I'd go to the town hall and see if I could dig something up. But uh, I made sure that there was news every weekday. Of course, to the community, Green wasn't only Kodo. He was a passionate environmentalist, a runner, completing nearly 30 consecutive Imogene Pass runs. He lobbied Congress for immigration reform and served on Telluride Town Council. He was also the founder and owner for many years of Baked in Telluride. On the eve of BIT's opening, Friday Live hosts asked Green about it. Jerry, it's been known, and some people have said around here, that you make some of the uh, finest bread in Telluride. <laughs> Where did you learn to bake bread? Bagels, sweet uh, rolls? Uh, bread, bread is easy to learn if you start out gradually. Uh, well, you know, for consistency at the bakery, I use recipes. But um, at home, I would advise people to never use a recipe and always vary the quantities of uh, flour, and then you just add a little more flour and eat it until it feels right. Jerry loved to say he was the reason we were all here. Whether you're tuning the dial to 91.7, eating a bagel in the sun, checking the river report, out for a run, or petitioning town council, there are moments you realize Telluride wouldn't be here without Jerry Green. High snowfall is a welcome treat for all those looking to shred the gnar. But safety is also a priority. The Colorado Avalanche Information Center is warning of increased avalanche danger in the waning days of 2021. CAIC Director Ethan Green says over the Christmas holiday weekend, an extended period of heavy snowfall and strong winds produce dangerous avalanche conditions. CAIC recorded over 200 avalanches in a three-day period. Eight people were buried, and one backcountry skier was killed. According to CAIC, another intense snowstorm will impact the Colorado mountains Thursday and Friday, 
with one to three feet of additional snowfall. Avalanche danger could reach extreme by Friday. CAIC urges people to avoid traveling in backcountry avalanche terrain, including the run-out areas of avalanche paths, and avoid being on or under steep snow-covered slopes. In the San Juans, an avalanche watch is in effect through Friday, December 31st. And no matter what, it's always important to check the avalanche forecast before going into the backcountry. The forecast is available at colorado.gov avalanche. There's a lot of ways to kick off the new year. Food, drinks, parties, parades, fireworks. Well, what about poetry? This Tuesday, the Talking Gourds Poetry Club will host a Bardic Trails online poetry night. January's featured poet is Bianca Darby Mateota, whose poem, Bird Cry, was selected as a finalist for the 2021 Fisher Prize in Poetry. The Bardic Trails online poetry night starts at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, January 4th. Register for the Zoom link at telluridelibrary.org. The Colorado River Basin is operating under a new plan starting Saturday, January 1st. For the first time ever, it includes mandatory cutbacks for some who draw water from the river that supplies 40 million people across the southwest. That means reductions that'll be felt most sharply by farmers in Arizona. Those cutbacks will be spread out over the course of 2022. Arizona will lose about a fifth of its supply from the river, or a little less than a tenth of its total water use. Nevada will also experience cuts, but water managers there say people won't feel the changes thanks to conservation measures beforehand. Every year around Christmas time, tens of thousands of people across the Western Hemisphere head out to record all the birds they see or hear within a 15 mile radius. The Audubon Society's Christmas Bird Count helps researchers get a better idea of how birds are doing in the face of threats like climate change and human development. This year's count runs from December 14th through January 5th. Aspen Public Radio reporter Eleanor Bennett joined the Aspen Center for Environmental Studies and the Roaring Fork Audubon Society for their counts in Carbondale and Snowmass Village the weekend before Christmas. Where did he go? See, hear that peep? On a recent Sunday, local resident Liz Bockram is standing in front of an employee housing complex in Snowmass Village and pointing her binoculars at a nearby tree. Can you see him, Missy? Come over here. He's on the back side of that tree. It's on the... Yeah, it's a male hairy. A hairy woodpecker, that is. Bakram is able to identify the woodpecker as male because of the small red tuft near the crown of his head. Bakram says she's been doing the Christmas bird count in the valley for about 13 years. It really brings me to a peaceful spot in my life. I used to run up and down 14,000 foot peaks and never stop and never really check out the wildlife. And now with birding, it's all about what you not only you see, you hear, and also the feeling. Bakram and a small group of women have been assigned by ACES to count as many birds as they can in the Snowmass and Woody Creek areas. 
Local teacher and artist Missy Pruden says most of the women in the group have been birding together for years. Every time we go out, we learn something more and just key into the birds. Everything else, you know, leaves your mind. Ann Larson is peering through her binoculars just a few feet away. This is her fifth or sixth Christmas bird count. I sometimes call myself a pity birder, that I go places and the birds take pity and come over. It's like, oh, what's, she's been waiting there a long time. Maybe I better check this out. Aspen resident Judy Wender is the newest birder in the group, and she says it's never too late to start. It is a lifelong thing, and hopefully I live long enough to be able to name some birds. (laughs) You start at 70, it's hard. (laughs) Like Bakram, Wender says birding helped her slow down. It is amazing that I have lived this long and not stopped. So with birding, you do stop, and it is peaceful. But Ann Larson says the Christmas bird count was not always so peaceful. Royalty, you know, would go out on a huge hunt. And they would just kill anything they saw pretty much. It wasn't just birds. Deer, you know, probably foxes. This holiday tradition was known as the Christmas side hunt. And whoever brought in the biggest bounty won. But on Christmas Day in 1900, a well-known ornithologist proposed a new holiday tradition, a Christmas bird census. The idea was to count and observe birds rather than eat them or hunt them for identification. Now the data collected every year is used to study the health of bird populations. And the more people participate, the better the data. Down in Carbondale, another group of birders with Roaring Fork Audubon is gathering outside the 3rd Street Center for their annual count. It's only 2 degrees and the sun is just hitting the top of Mount Sopris, but everyone is ready to get out there and start counting. George! 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 Come on over! George! Hurry up! Hurry up! Hurry up! Get a bird! What's your name? George Waller. This is George Waller's second Christmas bird count. He's hoping to see a northern pig meow this year. Well, it has a brown head with little white dots on it. Fellow birder Alan Leventon also started birding as a kid growing up in the Bronx. Leventon has been doing the Christmas bird count for 40 or 50 years now. I started as a Boy Scout, and that's where I got interested. And then many years later, I did what is called a big year, where you spend the whole year looking to find as many species as possible. Leventon would never say this, but according to his fellow birders, he's kind of a big deal. It was so exciting meeting Alan. He's much better than Steve Martin. <laughs> Steve Martin plays Leventon in the film adaptation of a book called The Big Year. It's the story of several birders competing to set the North American record for the most bird species spotted in 1998. Did you break any records? No. I saw, I, there were three of us who did it in that year. I saw 711. The fellow who saw the most at that time saw 742. Leventon may not have won the big year, but it hasn't stopped him from counting birds. A small group of birders piles into his car. They've been tasked with covering several areas from Carbondale to Glenwood Springs. Leventon's group is starting at the nearby nature park. What are you guys looking at? So up in the tree up there, there's a uh, red-tailed hawk and there's a raven flying past it. That's Dick Philby. He grew up birding in England and has a keen eye for spotting birds. And there's, um, accompanying the red-tailed hawk, there's a bunch of American crows, 
black-billed magpies. Fellow birder and wildlife biologist Ted Robertson is keeping track of the total count using a birding app called eBird. All right, so those are black-billed magpies. So I repeat everything I record just to confirm. After counting several new species, the group heads to their next stop, the Aspen Glen neighborhood. We can start with the eagle bumper zone. All right. After that, we can go through here and behind the golf course and go to another side of that river over there. Okay. So if you're in the mood. Absolutely. We're in the mood. Yep. Okay. <laughs> There's birds involved, but we're in the mood. Okay. Aspen Glen resident, Seabell Tekcha, welcomes the birders to her home along the Roaring Fork River. There are lots of birds to see here, but Tekcha says her favorite is the bald eagle. They used to nest right in front of her house. I used to watch them every day, and I ended up learning to love them. The nest has moved a little ways up river now, but Tekcha says the eagles still come here to fish. This leaning tree is their favorite tree because right underneath the hunting is the best. The bald eagles are nowhere in sight today, but Leventon and the others have spotted a gaggle of geese in the Roaring Fork. Now these are very common birds, but there's 98 Canada geese there. <laughs> a little further downstream, Robertson spots a nuthatch shimmying down a tree trunk, and Philby sets up a large telescope to get a better view of a belted kingfisher perched on the opposite bank. Anytime the, uh, the ponds freeze up, the kingfishers move to the river. When the river freezes up, they head south. We walk a little bit down the river to see what else we can see. Roaring Fork Audubon organizer Mark Fuller says the day was a success. You never quite know until you get the data, but we had a good group of people. We had experienced birders. We had some new birders, which is always fun. It was a beautiful day. So, yeah, absolutely. Fuller says the last step in the Christmas bird count is to compile and submit the local data to the National Audubon Society. That way, scientists and birders alike can help protect these feathered friends into the future. Eleanor Bennett, Aspen Public Radio News. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around 20 degrees and wind gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of 2 to 4 inches is possible. Friday, expect snow showers with a high in the mid-20s and wind gusts as high as 35 miles per hour. Three to seven inches of new snow accumulation is possible. Friday night, New Year's Eve, snow showers with a low in the single digits. Three to five inches of new snow accumulation is possible. Saturday should be partly sunny with a 40% chance of snow showers in the morning and wind gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. Saturday night calls for mostly clear skies with a low around negative five degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, December 30th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. Kodo News will be off on Friday, December 31st for the New Year holiday. But don't worry, we'll be back on Monday with all the news you need to kick off 2022. And now, a personal commentary. Hey Kodo listeners, Happy New Year. January 15th is the last day of the 2021 open enrollment period for health insurance. That means that you have to act fast if you want health insurance for the new year. You can also access great deals and discounts on insurance plans if you sign up during open enrollment, so don't miss out. Insurance can be confusing, but Tri-County Health Network can help. Our health coverage guides can meet with you one-on-one to find the plan that's right for you and help you enroll. 
just go to tchnetwork.org or email enrollment at tchnetwork.org to set up an appointment. Don't wait. Be ready for 2022 and enroll in health insurance today. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.